Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock MBA podcast. Today's guest is Gucci Highwaters. You may know him as one of the quote unquote emo rappers that Epitaph signed about a year or so ago. I don't love the term emo rap for him, but you get the idea. That's what people say. So that's what I'm going to say, too. Anyway, I was really excited to have him on. He's kind of a, uh, I don't know, reclusive, maybe not the right word, but, you know, he's a very reserved, shy person. Um, but maybe that's why I find him so interesting, because I talk to a lot of people who listen to the things I say in videos about marketing yourself, and they kind of feel like, well, if you're telling me that I need to be a- an extroverted, loud person on social media, that's just not who I am. Are you telling me that I'm just fucked, that I can't, you know, market myself in in 2021? And the answer is no, and he's proof of that. He's got over a million listeners on Spotify. He's on Epitaph. He's like crushing it. And as you'll find out from this conversation, and if you look at his social media, super reserved, quiet guy. So that is kind of the main angle for this here. But just in general, you know, lots of good insights about being a DIY creator. And we get into all that stuff. Very excited for this one. But before we get into that, wanted to mention a couple things you can do to support the show if you would like to. Number one, share it on social media. Tag me, tag the guest. It does a lot to help us spread the word. Number two, you can pick up some merch if you want. I've got mugs now. I came out with a new like deathcore shirt that's pretty cool. There's a link to that in the show notes. And number three, you can support us on Patreon if you would like. If you really, really like us, patrons get every podcast a week early. There's a members-only private Discord. There's a way to have me review your music or art or podcast or anything else that you might want to send my way. We really appreciate that. That is actually what pays for this show because I actually lose a lot of money on it. It is because of the patrons that were able to do it. So thank you very much for your support. But first, before we get into that, let's do a little bit of Q&A. From Watchloaf, looking at becoming an entrepreneur. Any advice? I make Android apps, but I'm trying to figure out how to make a passive income for my skill set or at least maybe do a startup or something. All right, so there are a few questions here. Basically, what you're trying to do is make a little bit of money, ideally in a passive way, if you can. So if you make Android apps, well, that seems like the obvious way to do it to me. I mean, if you already know how to make apps, then make apps. Uh, you know, why, why reinvent the wheel and why learn a new skill set if you don't have to? Now, as far as how to monetize an Android app, that's a question I don't know the answer to. I know a little bit about iOS apps, but not even that much. Android apps uh, have some significant differences, so I couldn't tell you the answer to that. But the good thing is all that information is out there, and I don't want to sound shitty, but honestly, the way to start with pretty much any question like this is Google. So, you know, just Google for how to monetize Android apps. And I guarantee you that there are dozens and dozens of great blog articles and YouTube videos and Reddit and Quora discussions that will have all the answers to this. And there's no plan that anybody can hand you on a silver platter that is gonna like guaranteed to be successful on day one or anything like that. You're gonna have to try shit experiment and it's going to take a while before it clicks probably but any question like this that you can possibly think of the answer is out there and it is probably free or cheap so that's the cool thing i would just start googling the other thing i would say is there's really no such thing as truly passive income unless you're talking about things like you know 
treasury bonds and stuff like that, which are more or less passive, but, you know, have such a low return that unless you have like literally a billion dollars, it's not going to add up to much money. So think of it as passive-ish. You're going to have to do some work to kind of maintain this, like with my merch, for example. I actively promote that a little bit, but not that much. And, you know, every day I sell 10 or 20 or 50 or sometimes $100 worth of merch. And that happens while I sleep. And so in one sense, it's passive, but I do put some time into promoting it and stuff like that. You're going to have to do the same thing with an app. I think the idea that truly passive income is out there is not really correct. So just understand that you will still need to put some time into managing it. And with that out of the way, let's get into this episode. Morgan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for making time. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me on. Been following you for a while now. So it's always dope to kind of hop on, do some stuff with people that I that I really enjoy their content. So yeah, thank you. Well, I appreciate it. It always makes me really happy when there's people like from your generation that follow my stuff because I don't want to just talk to other old people. It's important to me that <laughs> everybody, you know, feels included. So it always makes me really happy to see that. Yeah, dude. I mean, uh, Obviously, I got got signed to Epitaph maybe a little over a year ago, and and that's kind of when I discovered your stuff. You're kind of one of one of the dudes that that was really hyped about, you know, them signing some, mm-hmm. you know, kind of new stuff. So that's really like how I discovered you, which is, you know, a great way to discover someone just supporting the, the art. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about the Epitaph thing for sure, but for anybody who may not be familiar, you've only been making music for what like four or five years now or something probably five years soon which i mean it's it's crazy to me that there's people you know your age that have still been making music for five years and you're almost kind of like the second generation of i mean i'll call it alternative rap i don't know what there's like no good label for it but (laughs) you know from what i understand you're kind of a, a, a product of like bones and lean and you know blade and that kind of thing those are your influences and so you're the second generation of that yeah, hundred percent. Uh, I'm definitely like a, a second generation, like I'm 22 now and the genre kind of has, some people are like almost 30 years old. So might as well be dead <laughs> one foot in the grave. <laughs> nah. Um, yeah, I'm definitely like a younger, younger dude. And I came up a little later, like I wasn't like the first one on it, um, or anything. So yeah, I'm definitely, I definitely have kind of a different, uh, story to, you know, some of the, you know, couple of years older people. Yeah. You know, so many of the people I talked to were like, oh, well, you know, I grew up listening to, you know, from first to last or whatever. And then I started doing this stuff. And, you know, you, uh, like you said, you have a little bit of a different story and that you are kind of a product of the scene that those people created. And so I think that's kind of interesting. I'm interested to hear kind of how that, I don't know, how that colors your perspective on things. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. I think the the most apparent thing is just me not understanding um, when people are talking about how legendary this band yeah. is or this thing. I'm like always lost, and um, it's funny because you know most people assume that oh this kid makes you know like emo rap. He he definitely grew up on pop punk or or whatever right. it is, and uh, you know that's safe to assume because most people you know are familiar with these bands and and you know cultural things, but I feel like the most apparent thing is just I miss out on on like conversations with people saying, yo, I love this band so right, much. Right. Like, remember this? <laughs> was Young Lean like your Blink 182? Well, the weird thing is like when I discovered Young Lean, I was, I want to say I was like 16, 17. So I wasn't really that young. Yeah. You know, I was like late teen 
really my upbringing like my pop punk was just rap music like got it that's really it like it's not that i grew up in like a totally different time it was just like a few years i mean even some kids my age like grew up on pop punk stuff i think i just i don't think it's the age thing that made me miss out it was just like my preference because yeah one of my best friends i grew up with uh he was so into rock music and pop punk like that's all he listened to but he liked rap too and and i liked a couple of things that he would show me like hollywood and dead and stuff it was just rap for me just preference like i liked it more it took me a long time to realize that most people in like the rock scene didn't care or know about rap because i always listened to rap as much as i listened to rock i listened to rap before i knew what punk was or anything like that and i just sort of assumed that everybody in rock listened to at least or knew who like young jock was or something they had no clue and uh and not that i'm saying like oh they don't know but just it's interesting to me that even now with as much crossover as there is between the two genres it, it's still it like rock people still don't listen to mainstream rap like at all. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like taking a turn because like if you think about it, if you're a rock fan, right? And and you turn on the radio and you hear a rap song, it's not going to be a great rap song most likely, you know, it's right. going to be something that's flow rider or something. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be like, you know, not that any of that stuff is bad, but it's radio rap, you know, it's it's totally different. So, I think maybe just the surface level is is what turns people off of it. Right. And yeah, that's that's what I think, but, you know. Well, so it's interesting to me that you ended up on Epitaph, which I, I don't know. I, I mean, I imagine at this point you're sort of familiar with their stature in the scene. But, I mean, like, on arguably the most, like, iconic punk label of all time. Yeah. You know, and, you know, Brett is just a fucking legend. You know, that it, I think it's pretty cool that they you know, wanted to work with you and felt like you belonged on the label even without coming from the punk scene and vice versa. Yeah, it's awesome. It wasn't even a question, you know, it's like they said, what's up to me at a show, actually, at one of my first shows, they just came through and they they said, what's up? Like, we're from Epitaph, this and that just kind of like chilled with me, really. Yeah, over over when I lived in LA, I kind of would would meet up with them every once in a while. And yeah, it was never like, oh, like, did you grow up on this music or whatever? It was just like, we love your stuff. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter anything else. It's just like, we love your stuff. And like, I think you'd fit on this because you're DIY. You like, you know, it's like, I don't know, your music's so different, but you're not that different to people that that make punk. You know, you, you yeah. do it out of your bedroom. You did sh like shitty shows, you know, in front of right, 20 right. people. So, you know, it's not so different. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I see it, although I'm sure you've seen some of the comments on their stuff. That their <laughs> older fans definitely are not uh, excited about you guys being on the label. But, yeah. you know, I think that's a big credit to Brett that he's willing to take those risks and, you know, piss off the piss off their fans to, you know, support artists that he believes in. Yeah, that's happened to me my whole life. Like, not everyone's going to be on board with what you're doing. Like, people don't everyone has opinions and it's like who cares? I mean, like they can like what they like and, and shit and they can, they can hate on whatever. But at the end of the day, like music, music moves on. Like think about 10 years from now, like it's going to be completely different and it just, yeah. it changes and you just, you know, maybe you won't like it or, or whatever, but you know, the old music's always there for you. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like 
2020 was like a big breakout year for you. Like I hadn't looked at your Spotify numbers in a while and I looked recently and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Well, I just dropped an album called Jokes on You uh, about two months ago now. That was awesome. That that really like uh, kind of opened some new doors for me, which I'm, I'm really uh, hyped about. But 2020 was weird because I didn't drop that much music and I was like kind of in a weird place. I feel like mentally it was like I didn't get anywhere. But, you know, I think if you kind of round up all the moments in the year, I, I definitely like um, was staying there. I think like maybe 2019 was like more of an impactful year for me, maybe. I don't know, though. OK. Yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering if there was some sort of big moment that I missed or something. Not really. It's it's weird. I feel like 2020, I stayed consistent, um, luckily, because I didn't really drop that much stuff. But I definitely didn't go down. I, I think I stayed consistent. Maybe my plays like went up a little bit or or whatever, kind of fluctuated a bit. But the album dropping was definitely something that boosted, you know, my numbers and, and whatever my my relevancy, I guess. I don't know. How different was it working with Epitaph on an album release versus the other stuff that you did that was all DIY? So this is technically like my debut album because I have an album. My other album is is titled Post Death. And all that is, is just a collection of my first singles. So I didn't make it as an album at all. When it was done, I just compiled it all into into an album. So this was like my first experience. I don't really have anything to compare to, but it was a lot more thought out, which is cool. You know, it was kind of fun to to spend more time on something and really think about it. Um, you know, make a song and sit on it for a month and maybe change a few things. Which I, I didn't, I never used to do that. You know, I used to just throw it up the next day. Which is cool too. Which is awesome. Yeah. But uh, I like it. I, I like challenges. I like a change of pace. I don't have anything to compare to, but I think overall, it was just a little more calculated, which is awesome, you know, kind of makes it feel a little more special. And like, this is a little more serious now. Like, so I like it. I like the challenge and it, it was really fun. I'm ready for the next album. The production on it also sounds a little slicker to me. Not like not like a huge difference, but just like, all right, like especially like the vocals, the, you know, the vocal mixing and stuff. Did you do anything differently there? No, I actually, I, I didn't want to stray too far from what I've done because I, I feel like I didn't um, really have a chance to kind of show off like my, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. What I see like for my back catalog is, is just me developing because it's all my first songs, you know, like I'm, I'm only four years into singing. So I have a lot of growth um, still. So I feel like this album, I wanted to just be like, all right, I don't want to do anything like crazy new. I just want to kind of perfect what I've been doing and kind of like push the limit on that. And then that's going to be my debut album, you know? Yeah. Like if you listen to that album, it sounds the same, you know, or should I say consistent with your first stuff, just better. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's really, that was my goal. So I'm happy you kind of, you noticed that, but yeah, this, this album definitely wasn't something that I wanted to kind of push the boundaries with. I kind of just wanted to give them like a staple Gucci album and and hope that all the fans that have stuck around really enjoy it. Yeah. I wanted to mention or talk about the vocals because you said that you, uh, I saw some other interview, you said that you never really even tried singing before you started putting out music, which surprised me because I think your your vocal melodies are are very good and pretty sophisticated. It sounds to me like the reference point for those would be like mainstream kind of R&B, almost like Post Malone or Black Bear or something like that. 
where did that come from if you're so new to singing? Um, actually, growing up, my mom always had the radio on and it was kind of like a thing. My sister, uh, she's an amazing singer. And growing up, she was like always the one to be singing. And like everyone was like her voice is amazing. Even as a kid, when she was like, you know, 12 years old, she was uh, doing like the school plays and she would be the lead singer in, in every school play every year. So it's funny to think that I'm the singer now. It's always been there. I just I've always been a very shy kid. I think back then, maybe subconsciously, I, I always wanted to try it. And it was always there. You know, my sister was always singing. I would watch X Factor with her. And we would, you know, we would listen to radio music and just like, you know, Rihanna and Lady Gaga and shit like that. So it's always been there, but I just never exercised it until, you know, I started producing beats on my own. So so it's almost like you mentally understood singing. You just hadn't physically really done it very much. Yeah, 100%. I always listened to music as a kid and I never just listened to it surface level. I always thought about it like, oh, my God, this right. part sounds so cool. You know, and and kind of, yeah, mentally always, always was uh, a very detailed listener. Right. That is like so underrated as a way of getting better at music is just like being a detailed listener. A friend of mine who went to Berkeley and is like a super amazing musician taught me like how to make like charts of songs. You'd say, well, just take a song you listen to or you like, listen to it and make a note of how the arrangement changes like on a bar by bar basis. And I did that. It made me literally 10 times better at writing in like two weeks just from dissecting stuff. It's crazy. And it's it's such a nerdy way to to be, but it's so awesome. Like when I was in high school, I did a video class and my teacher said, when I teach you this, you know, the, the basics about, you know, uh, filming or whatever, you'll never watch a movie the same ever again. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mm, that's interesting. And you know, he told us this is uh this is where your, you know, portrait shot should be or whatever like that. The rule of thirds just told us some really basic like camera things. And then, you know, I'm watching a movie and and I'm like, did you see that? Did you see right. the, the little thing? And and that's like the same with music. Like when I started making beats, I was like, oh, like that kick sounds so good. Like, yeah, I end on that kick or whatever. And yeah, that's what it is. Once you kind of start to understand more, you really get like super nerdy about it. And yeah, I loved it. And I feel like I always I always had that mind, even though I didn't understand the the actual things going on. You know, learning to listen to music like that and learning about production. So like I am a partner in a company that like teaches music productions. We have like 6,000 members. It's mostly like rock and metal kind of stuff. But because mm -hmm. of that, I'm not a fantastic producer, but for the past seven or eight years, I've been like just balls deep and talking about production all day, every day. So I understand it pretty well. And it's interesting that it's like made me not like some stuff that I used to like, but on the other hand, made me really love some stuff that I kind of disregarded before. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally uh, relate to that too. And what's funny about it is I love a song and then I'll understand you know, how it was made or, or listen to its flaws. But I never want to put that above just like the artistry and me liking it. And the feel. Yeah. At the end of the day, if it makes you feel good, that's all that matters. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's what's like so beautiful about music. You can, you know, listen to a song with just like a kick and a snare or whatever. And like you love it, but it's not the most complicated thing ever. It's just like they knew what they're doing on a different level than just whatever it is, you know? So, yeah. It made me really in particular appreciate singing. I think until you have tried 
singing or recording or mixing vocals and stuff, you don't understand how good pop vocalists are. Like people maybe take it for granted, but like you can go on YouTube and listen to uh, Whitney Houston, like raw soloed vocals. And it just makes me want to cry that she's so fucking good, you know? And this is from like, she's like 19. It's in like 1984 or something like that. It really made me appreciate pop in particular to learn more about production. Yeah, hundred percent. Probably when I was like 15, 16 and I was into like, you know, real rap or, or whatever, like really sophisticated type stuff. I hated pop and I hated this and I hated that. But there's like, you know, there's like skills in mostly every genre, you know, like there's in any genre, there's something you can learn from it. Exactly. And and there's always something admirable about, you know, pop or, or country even or, yeah. you know, stuff that people hate, like. There's always something in there that's like, that's impressive and you can't lie about it. So, yeah, I, I've definitely opened up to, I don't think there's a genre that like I hate. You know, I, I feel like that word is like, it sucks. Like, you know, there's some there's something I can listen to and, and I don't enjoy it. But like, yeah, that's pretty impressive or whatever. Like there's things that like people will will brush off. But yeah, there's there's some really impressive things about every genre. Yeah. How how do you feel about country being you're you're probably like the least country person that I've talked to since you're from Ireland and Long Island. <laughs> uh how do you feel about country? I think it's sick. I think it's very emotional. I mean, I'm not going to be the I don't know like anything really about country, but it's so funny to me cuz it's like if I was like born and raised in the countryside in America, like I would probably make that stuff. Sure. Cuz I make like emotional music and whatever and and country is emotional. It's just like they grew up listening to, you know, country guys playing guitars. And I listened to, you know, rappers over hip hop beats and I'm making emotional stuff over hip hop beats, but they're making emotional stuff over guitar. Like, it's like, it's the same thing. Just, it's just a different style. Same thing, different style. And and yeah, that's, I, I love it. I think it's cool. What do Irish country people listen to? I feel like they just listen to Eminem, but I don't know. Yeah, no, you're so right. Like, um, it's so, it's so like... I guess underdeveloped is like the best way to say it. Like, I mean, people in like I grew up actually in like pretty secluded. Like, I didn't grow up in a, in a city in Ireland. I grew up in like a field. Like, I look out and there's just fields. I grew up like in a secluded area, but we weren't like we weren't in a country Irish family. Like my um my parents grew up in Ireland, but they lived in in America for like you know twenty years or whatever. So they were. They weren't totally just like country, but yeah, we grew up there and like, they're just farmers. I don't even think they listen to music. Like, right. if anything, they'll, they'll like listen to like traditional Irish music. They probably don't listen to radio and stuff. Right. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel and I, as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? 
<laughs> How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. So one of the things that is different, even in the relatively short amount of time you've been making music, is you kind of came up when SoundCloud was at its peak. And I, I'm not as plugged into SoundCloud as you probably are, but it seems like it's not kind of what it used to be. How different is that versus when you came out? It just seems like that's where all the innovation was happening back then. And, and there's still lots of cool stuff on there, but it's just not quite, I don't know, top of the food chain like it was back then, or maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. No, you're right. You're totally right. And it's it's actually crazy because it's not as thriving as it used to be. I haven't used it actively in like two years. Like literally, I haven't, I don't go on SoundCloud. I'm not even logged in probably on this computer. Like I don't go on it because either either whatever happened, there's there was like a shift. Maybe I think the new, I think it is doing well right now with Hyperpop stuff yeah but that's kind of the only thing i can really think of and i don't i still don't even know what the current climate is with it but i think it's doing i want to i want to think it's doing better than i think it is you know because like totally because you're not part of it anymore really right so the emo rap type of wave like that's there's like i don't think there's anything going on on soundcloud right now that's like that yeah so yeah you're right i feel like that wave kind of did die out or whatever but i mean it, that's what happens you know stuff doesn't stick around for <laughs> forever i'm sure there's a lot of cool stuff on there like you said especially hyperpop but 
I just don't have the time or energy to like dig through everything. So I just figure like the best stuff I'm going to hear about and see it on YouTube or Spotify. And I'm just going to wait until it hits. I don't need, you know, when I was younger, it's like I wanted to hear about everything the second it dropped. And and I just can't do that anymore. Yeah, I, I don't do I don't do that either anymore. I think back then when I used to do that, you know, click every track. Who's this? Who's that? Like um, when I was really involved in it, it's because I, I was so new to it and it was so fresh. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. But like after years of of knowing that there's thousands and thousands of kids out there making stuff. And I also feel like I also feel like it got very, very oversaturated, too. Like, I don't want to say most kids, but like a lot more kids are making stuff in their bedroom like five years ago they weren't you know i feel like i don't know maybe that's just like in my head but i feel like a lot of people no no it's more and more every year for sure i mean yeah because we've had our company for seven years now and i did some other stuff i've been doing it since 2013 and the amount of bedroom producers is way higher every year definitely okay yeah good to know because maybe sometimes i think shit is all in my head no no you're you're right and i think it's awesome i mean there's something like everyone's putting out shit on sound good even if it sucks like i'm still glad they're doing it yeah i love it i think that's what made me kind of go i guess like i didn't have time to see all the new stuff and there's so much new stuff that i i should have had more time but i had less time and it but yeah it is cool that there's more it's it's awesome you know partly why i read all my dms and stuff too is because i know that people will send me the stuff that i need to see yeah oh yeah that's cool too I just kind of rely on other people to, in my comments, I just rely on other people to filter it for me, which is cool that they do that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So you said in some other interview that I was listening to that there was a point where you kind of realized like, oh, I can live off of, you know, I guess streaming income. That's pretty cool. Um, When did that happen? And like, how many followers did you have at that time? So I don't exactly know, like when but i know that there was a time in my life where i was working at this graphic design office at the same time i was going to school i was going to community college for graphic design but when i would go home the only thing i cared about was like making music so i probably had somewhere near 10,000 followers on soundcloud and maybe like 20k monthly listeners right on Spotify but I was still working my job because I didn't think it would get any bigger I was just having fun I was just loving it and then I got like my grades from college and I failed every single class <laughs> literally I failed every class All right well I guess the school thing's not working out right so it was so it was so weird though because like I was actually really good at like graphic design and stuff um, I found it quite easy, but I just didn't do any homeworks and I got a hundred percent score on my midterm, but I just didn't do any homework. So I failed. Like, it's right. just like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's my fault because I was just making music, but when I failed that, I was like, all right, let me see how much money I'm actually like really making and like count it up. And I was like, shit, I probably could live off this yeah, or whatever. And I mean, 20,000, that's definitely respectable, but that's not massive right it wasn't the thing is i still lived with my parents at this time i was probably 18 and they were like yeah you can stay in the house you're going to college like of course but 
as soon as I, I dropped out. And that's the thing. I wasn't making enough to pay rent by myself. When I say by myself, like I was probably making like a thousand a month. All right. I mean, that's something. I was also selling features and beats. So it was like it wasn't just strictly plays. I don't know exactly when and how how many listeners I had when like I started making like a healthy amount. It kind of like came like that, honestly, um, before I knew it. Well, the, the reason I'm asking is because there's so many people like in rock that have this idea that you can't make any money off, you know, music other than playing shows and selling merch and, you know, SoundCloud is bullshit and streaming is bullshit and blah, blah, blah. And I know so many fucking people like you who make a living off of streaming and it's like you know you're an 18 year old kid who's only been making music for a couple years are you getting rich off of streaming no but you know you're 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 being scrappy and finding different ways to like get some money together and like thousand dollars a month like shit when i was 18 i would have fucking killed somebody to make a thousand dollars a month off (laughs) of music or anything else so I just want people to understand that it is possible. You don't have to have millions of followers. Like you don't have to be on a label. Like you can just be a scrappy kid and get by doing the stuff that you're talking about. Yeah. Now for 2021, I don't know if it's the same as it used to be because it's so oversaturated. Back then, we all made money. We were selling beats. We were selling features. We were getting some streaming money. It was all these different things. People were selling reposts like all the time. But now there's Twitch and there's, there's always some new way to make money if you just yeah. hustle. 100%. Yeah. It, there's no excuse anymore, man. Like 100%. We all made it work. And like you just you have to be driven. You can't just be like someone that's like, you can't do this. You can't do that. Yo, you can make you can make money online. Like no joke. Sure. I mean, how many rappers do we know that bought a fucking house off of Spotify money that are not super popular? You know, so many. There's so many people that we don't know that are living their best life right now, um, you know, just off some just off a core fan base, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That That's I think to me, that's the big lesson, you know, and, you know, you're a very reserved person like this interview is more more animated than you usually are. You're a very reserved person. You don't go real hard on self-promotion on social media. You don't post that often. You know, you don't do a lot of the things that people think that they have to do. And yet, you know, it's obviously working for you. You're on Epitaph. I mean, I think you're such a good case study of how many of the things people, you know, believe that, you know, think that are true, but just aren't. It's pretty funny because in this certain uh, climate of like the music industry, it's like, how entertaining are you? It's like that's really it on social media with with yeah. you know Instagram and and TikTok or whatever it is. It's like Lil Pump basically invented that model of just be a fucking loudmouth who happens to make music. Yeah, and and I think like for myself, I'm I'm not the most interesting kid. Like I'm just I just love making music. I'm not like a loud person. I'm pretty shy. I live a pretty damn regular life. And I don't love social media that much. I kind of started to hate it. I'll still post because it's it's important. It's still very important for my career. Obviously, there's a there's a sick aspect of like interacting with fans that I always love. But there's a lot of things that I don't like about it. And that's kind of why I don't post that much. You know, you post what maybe once every week or two. Yeah, I mean, I started to post much more. But in like 2020, I I think I posted like 12 photos on Instagram. Right. I, I like counted it. If it were up to me, like I probably wouldn't have social media at this point. I, I think social media is still still a good thing. It's just a lot of 
there's a lot of negativity and there's like a lot of pressure to to be like the best person and I don't know. There's there's a bunch of things, but I still use it because it's very important. And the other thing, you can't just leave your fans in the dust. You know, yeah. You gotta you gotta give them some time of your day. And uh, you know, I'm starting to learn that. I'm starting to do that. Tell me about that. It sounds like you're starting to post more often. What made you kind of make that decision? To be fully honest, like my manager was like, "Why don't you post more?" Like people are going on social media every day. Like you have to be there. And I'm like, that's so true. If I want my music to, you know, get bigger and survive, you know, I have to post more. I have to be in be in people's faces and I don't have to be obnoxious. I just be myself or whatever and, and share more of my life. But that's pretty much it. Like my manager motivated me and I have like a social media team now that just helps me like, you know, hey, like we should do this little thing on Friday, you know, just like little things um, that kind of gave me like a little boost of encouragement to post more. That's pretty much it. But it's not like you turned into Logan Paul overnight. You know, you're still you're still low-key, reserved kind of personality. So I yeah. think it's cool for anybody who feels like, oh, I have to be like this huge personality that dresses crazy and stuff. Not true. Yeah, it's not true. It's not true. It's it's hard, though. It's like, like I even get in my own head where I'm like, I'm not like going to ever be like a popping like Instagram page. And like... And I'm not because it's like my Instagram isn't the best quality about me. I think my music is the best quality because I spend time on it and I, you know, I try to perfect it. So it's like because I see like, I don't know, I, I've been comparing myself a lot. I mean, I always have, um, you know, when you see someone on Instagram that has like half a million followers and you're like, yo, this person's like doing some dope shit. Like they're doing like sick content, this and that. Yeah, it's like at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. And you can just be yourself. You won't have a lot of followers like if you're just, you know, a quiet person, but people are still going to like it, you know? Well, there's a lot of other quiet people out there like you who are tired of all the loud people, you know? (laughs) If you want to be optimized just completely for popularity, yeah, you should just be a loud idiot. But I don't think anybody listening to this, I don't think their goal is to be the most popular person in the world, they'd probably be happy just having like a small but dedicated fan base that supports them. And I think you're a good example of, you know, that you can do that even if you're a relatively quiet, reserved person. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. You can definitely, uh, definitely get to a, get to this point, you know, being yourself, you don't have to sell out or do anything crazy for sure. Yeah. So touring, you've done some of it. I'm guessing you'll be doing more, things open up and stuff how much touring would you like to be doing in a perfect world since you kind of don't really need to yeah no i i totally agree with the idea that i don't actually need to because i did tour a lot in 2019 and actually the start of 2020 before covid hit i think ideally like i would like to do like two tours a year just so i have enough time to make music and be like an artist and not a touring musician yeah because I mean, there's a lot of different elements that tie into why touring isn't like the best thing for my brand. First of all, the music isn't like with a live band and it's not like the most impressive thing. So that's kind of like the first thing. It's like, you know, it's it's not like the best compatibility for live. I still make it pretty good. I used to use backtracks when I my first tour, I used backtracks because I didn't have any idea how to perform. Over like, you know, doing the next tour, I, I kind of added a new element and I, I definitely made it as cool as it could be for now. 
but I think, yeah, that's the first thing. I don't have a live band or whatever, maybe, maybe someday in the future. Um, and then the other thing is like, whatever it is about my fans is like, they're like homebodies. Like they like being at home and streaming my music and I can a hundred percent imagine that. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is like sad music and it's about, you know, being anxious or and being quiet and being that like, you know, to yourself type of person. And it's, you know, we're, we're not like concert goers, you know, we're just like anxious kids. Like that's not the best yeah. environment, but there's a few things, you know, that will kind of um, make the touring experience not as vital as it should be for, you know, a band or something. But I think maybe like two tours a year because there are like many fans that do come out and it's, yeah, it's super fun. So, yeah, I'm like the odd man out. I don't really like going to shows. Like, I mean, obviously I've been to zillions of them and I go say hi to my friends and stuff, but like, I don't find the act of watching people perform music to be all that interesting. I like listening to the music. That's cool. Yeah, that's interesting to hear, actually. There's people that are that are like that. You know, there's there's a bunch of people that don't like going to shows. One of my one of my homies like loves music. He doesn't he hates shows. And it's just, yeah, it's it's an environment where you're squished up against someone and you're seeing your favorite artist. You're so sweaty. Yeah. It's it's not like the coolest environment unless you really love it. And it's a hassle to get there and you gotta pay all this money to park and yeah. Hope your car doesn't get broken into. <laughs> and it's also, I don't like loud noise, Dude. which might sound weird given that I listen to. That's crazy that you said that actually, because over the past few years of my life, I've noticed I get really, really anxious if I hear like a loud noise. And it's crazy you said that because I feel like when I say it, I kind of sound really weird. <laughs> but like if there's like a, a helicopter or something obnoxiously loud, yeah, I'll be like in panic mode. I mean, it makes sense. Your brain, like in nature, if there's some loud noise, it's probably a fucking alligator chasing after you or something. And your brain is like, holy shit, Morgan, watch out. Yeah, no, 100%. But there's some people that don't give a fuck. And I don't get that. But I'm very fearful of super loud noises. I fucking hate loud noises. Like a few weeks ago, I had to cut like this. I, I just like redid my studio. I had to cut like a metal, basically a metal rod. I had to cut it with like a an angle grinder uh-huh and they're so loud and as with, soon like, as the I sparks s- and all that yeah and like the scariest part for me was how loud it was like the piercing sound and that's when i realized holy shit like i hate loud noises <laughs> i don't even like leaf blowers like if there's someone across the street with like a leaf blower i'm like Ugh. it sucks we were late on that for sure yeah yeah well i mean but you know to your point there's a lot of fans that love going to shows and i think I think there's a lot to be said for bringing people together too. Like even if it's not about you, like there's probably other fans that have been talking online and stuff and get the chance to meet each other. And that could be the place where, you know, we met at a Gucci show years ago and now we're like BFFs. Yeah, no, there's so much, there's so much cool stuff to it too. Like everything else besides like the whole, like I could be in the studio part or like live shows aren't as cool as they should be or whatever. Everything aside from that is so dope because there are people that have met at a show and yeah. there's people that uh, there's supporters that I've got to know in my discord server um, that that I talk to all the time. And, and they're like, yo, I live in Germany. Next time you're here, like, oh, let's get a drink or whatever before the show. And I'm like, let's do it. And and those things are what makes touring so sick, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like what I like to say is uh, I like everything uh, about shows except the band playing. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. Yeah. And that's I kind of think 
that's what it's about. It's not, you know, if the band was just playing or whatever and there was no, there was no like social stuff and there was no, yeah, everything else would just kind of suck. My move when I was, uh, you know, I was like 19 or 20 and I didn't have any money for shows. My friend and I would go ride our bikes and just stand outside the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I've seen people do that. Which was great because then people come out between bands like to talk, you know, so we'd basically just go hang out with all our friends, but we didn't have to like pay to see the band or anything like that. And that was like the perfect hack because it was like (laughs) all the good parts, but none of the bad didn't have to worry about getting kicked in the face by somebody moshing or something. That was the best. I miss those days. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I've never done that. I actually did go to a fair amount of shows when I was kind of like, I I guess like, I mean, I've always kind of gone to shows. Um, until I started playing them, but like as a teenager, I lo- I, I honestly loved going to shows. Um, I just loved the music, and that's really why. But I, I guess like at this point, now that I'm like a little bit older, I probably wouldn't enjoy them as much, to be honest. Yeah, but you know, this is your job, so it's a little it's a little bit different. Yeah, you used to kind of seem like you were self conscious about your age, or at least you referenced it a lot, like. You know, um, I forget there's a song where you talk about like being 19 and you'd said in interviews a whole bunch that you were like scared of turning 20 and stuff. Yeah. What, what, I was just curious. What was that about? Um, that's interesting. I, I feel like when I was 18 and 19 um, and I dropped out of college and um, and I, I quit my job, that it was like I was at the edge of a cliff or something. You know, I'm I'm about to be an adult. And my parents are like, all right, you quit school, like go get like your own apartment. And that was that was when I started making music. And it's just the it's not necessarily, oh, I'm going to be 20 in a year. It's it's like, oh, I'm going to have to get an apartment and like, a like I don't know job. what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. And that that's the that was the idea behind it. It's like growing up is is actually really scary. Um, and I, I definitely took a risk like when I when I quit my job and quit college, like I I you know, gave up on every other option. And I didn't know that music was going to work out. So I was very scared when I was making my first few songs, um, just kind of clinging to that, that feeling. And there was always that fear that I'm going to be old and it's going to be music is going to be long gone, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I think every 18 or 19 year old, like put it this way, the 18 and 19 year olds who think they have it all figured out are the biggest idiots. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Those are the ones you want to watch. Oh, dude, no, I've got this plan and this plan. You're like, all right, buddy. Luckily, I've always been kind of, I mean, I guess it's like there's pros and cons, but I've always been uh, very anxious and, and fearful of, of the future, but it's it's set me up well. So I have been too. I'm like kind of a natural worrier and there's times where that's bad, like when I have panic attacks and shit. But I think in general, it's helped me more than it's hurt me because it's like, when people say like, oh, don't worry, it's all going to work out. Like, well, how? Yeah, no, that's true. Like, it's not just magically going to work out because you're in a good mood. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a whole other thing, because then you realize you can't rely on other people at all. Like people can help you for sure. But if you're a worrier and you're like someone that has like severe anxiety, like no words can help you. And you actually have yes. to you're just left to your own device. Yeah, exactly. People say, oh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, well, no, I'm going to worry about it until I actually address the things that I'm worried about. Yeah. Which I don't think that's a bad thing. It's not. It's actually, it's made me a very independent person because growing up, I was, I was the most anxious kid ever. 
I don't know what part of Long Island you're from. I don't, I, I've spent some time there. I don't know it super well, but the company yeah. I worked for, I had an office there. You seem like the least Long Island person. I'm just thinking about your personality. People there are so fucking aggressive. <laughs> like, it just seems like your personality is so out of place there. Yeah, no, it is true, man. It's people are fucking loud here for sure. Yeah, the culture is just, you know, loud Americans, I guess. Um, but it, that's how it's been since I moved from Ireland to America. You know, people are just um, not that it's a bad thing, but, you know, Americans are definitely a louder type of person. But especially fucking Long Island, like Long Island <laughs> and Boston are the most like, hey, I'm walking over here. <laughs> Yeah, you know, for the sure. most aggressive people are like, dude, why are you on 10 right now? Yeah, no, 100%. And that's just a part of what that I got used to it. You know, it's just I've been here for maybe eight, seven years now or whatever it is. But your parents are in Ireland, though, right? No, my parents live here. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah, it's kind of a it's a weird story. But just to sum it up, I was born in Long Island to two Irish parents that were working in bars, just making some money uh, in the U.S. And when I was five years old, they moved back to where they're from in Ireland. I grew up when I was 15. We moved back to New York. Oh, OK. OK. So when I was 15, I moved back with my dad and my sister, which is half of my family. And we lived here for a year. And then my mom got her citizenship and then she came over. So it was it was a weird it was kind of a super weird time. But we're all over here now and you know we're doing well so gotcha well i was just asking because i've lived like all over the us i lived in new jersey for a year and i just fucking hated every minute of it and you could live anywhere with your you know i mean you could live anywhere and you yeah. have lived other places long island to me is like not a very inspiring place and i personally find it depressing yeah. Uh, and I'm just curious about how people's like surroundings affect what they do. What keeps you there? Well, yeah, that's um, that's a good point, because I, I totally agree. Like Long Island is is flat, totally flat. It's boring. I mean, people are just people are assholes a lot of the time. I mean, and it's expensive, too, for what it is. It's so expensive. It's New York City price. What brought me back, I think, is like I've been dating this girl for like three years and she lives here. We were together before my music even popped off. I think that was a big thing for me because three years is, isn't like just some little relationship. It's like, you know, it's getting serious for sure. That's a good and, reason. Yeah. Uh, my family also live here too. I have a younger brother, older sister. Um, and not that any of that stuff is like, is like I have to be around it all the time. But I think when I was in LA, it, I was so disconnected and I actually didn't really have many friends that I could just hit up and be like, yo, you trying to hang out and just chill. And I, I feel like I felt like super isolated and shit, even though I was surrounded by people all the time. But I really don't know what kind of makes me like this place. But just to kind of put it in, in a better perspective, I live in Long Beach. I literally can almost see the beach from my house. And I, I kind of live in a quiet part of town. So it's it's kind of like I, I do live in Long Island, but I actually live in a really nice part that isn't very, like, suburban, I guess. Right. I used to go to uh, Ronkonkoma all the time, which just sucks. Okay. That's, like, super far out. I literally live, like, five minutes from Queens. Oh, okay. I'm definitely in Long Island, but it's not, like, the shitty, like, right, suburban. Right, right. Like, it actually is It's very close to the city. Like, no joke, I live 
five minutes from the far rockaway bridge so okay it's kind of not really like i'm not like deep in the long island like gotcha you know so it is kind of just a a nice spot and it's actually like really popular uh in the summertime as like a beach town so it, gotcha. it is kind of like a nice part honestly okay well all right then in that case uh <laughs> it makes a little bit more sense to me at least definitely yeah you're thinking of yeah ronkonkoma is like way out like that's like an hour and a half for me like the other way so yeah i'm i have i have ptsd just thinking about it cool well i've taken up enough of your time i appreciate you uh carving out a few minutes of your friday uh any words or wisdom or anything else you want to leave us with before i let you go nothing necessarily just thanks for having me on and uh uh hope anyone you know that listened to this enjoyed it and you know hopefully inspired some people to kind of get their music going and and always believe in yourself because you know i'm just a i'm just a kid that was driven to to make this stuff so yeah that's it cool i appreciate it and uh i will talk to you soon all right my friends that does it for this episode of the podcast if you made it this far thank you thank you for listening we sincerely appreciate each and every one of you if you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Who out there? Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.